Now, if, oh, hey. now before we begin, I do, you know, you talk about being a faithful steward. There, there are two people in this room that have to be faithful stewards with what God's given them. First is Brother Donovan Smith's son is here who just recently got married. Stand up. We're going to put him on the spot. Stand up. Stand up. Are you being a faithful steward with that wife God gave you? Are you, are you, man, are you being a faithful steward of the wife God gave you? All right, y'all say amen to him. <laughs> how many, how long you been married now? How many, what we working on? You got six months in. Huh? Is that, is that it? How, how many? You got five months? You looking forward to six though, right? Okay. There's another time. You know, we also have to be faithful steward with the years that God gives us. Some of us have more. Some of us have less. Did y'all know that Brother Kirk just had a birthday? Stand up, man. Come on, Brother Kirk had a birthday. He got a lot of years on him. <laughs> be faithful steward with them years. Let's, uh, I want to sing that, that, that praise song, just a verse or two of that. Praise him. Praise Him, everybody. Praise Him, praise Him. Jesus, blessed Savior, He is worthy to be praised. One more time, Nana. Come on, Nana. Praise Him, praise him praise him praise him Jesus blessed Savior he is he's worthy to be praised Father, be in my head and in my thinking, be in my voice and in my speaking, be in our minds and our understanding. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You know, the text that was read today, many of us, we, we, we don't take the Bible as the literary, historical uh, treasure that, that it is. 
You know, there's there was a show on TV that is now in syndication and it's got spinoff and it's called The Game of Thrones. And 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 the the show is the fictional uh, uh, battles and intrigue where kingdoms are fighting against kingdoms and and nations against nations. Does it sound familiar? And, and, and they are 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 full of all kinds of uh, of intrigue and murder and incest and marriages uh, for political advantage and alliances and and there's all kinds of brutality and violence that are occurring here now when hollywood is telling these stories it's telling you for entertainment value it's looking to tap into that sensationalism that that lust that we have that that thing that we want to be amazed we want something to to excite us the bible has no less and matter of fact the bible has more intrigue and 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 and, and stories and accounts of intrigue and and marriages by allowing a, a lot for alliances and and nations rising against nations and kingdoms warring against kingdoms but the bible is not telling you this for the entertainment value it's giving you this information to awaken the humanity in you that you would be able to not lust after those things, but abhor those things. There's a character in this Game of Thrones uh, that's referred to. He's not seen much in this show, my understanding is, but he's referred to frequently, and he's called the Mad King. He's called the Mad King because he becomes worse than any other king that was before him and his his lust and his thirst for blood and and excitement just seemed to pale all the others that came before him in the bible when we look at the life of ahab we see something very similar and if when we read that first text go to first kings chapter 16 first king chapter 16 verse 30 we're gonna read this and I want you to pay attention to this text do y'all notice I have on my glasses these are actually real glasses it says and Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord now get this above all all that were before him above all that were before him this text tells you everything you need to know about Ahab his daddy his granddaddy and his great-granddaddy that no matter how bad they were he was worse and they were bad this 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 is a problem because Israel has seen terrible kings before. Saul himself was a mass murderer of even the clergy. Saul was looking to kill innocent people. Saul sought the advice of the witch of Ender. Saul sought to talk with uh, uh, spirits that he knew didn't really exist, but Saul 
sucked into spiritualism, sucked into jealousy, sucked into murder, yet Ahab is worse than him. This is why it's important for us to maintain a household because it's the generational building on the problems of the generations that preceded us. Be careful of how you raise your children because as you raise them, they raise those that come after them. And it gets worse and it gets worse unless you have God at the center. See, the prodigal son always needed to know that daddy was still home. Somewhere, the child, when they make their own choices in life, still needs to know that there's a home that serves as the lighthouse that can always point them back to shore. But when the parents are compromising and the parents don't stick up for what's right, and when the parents have no principles, see... Children are always watching to see if the parent will hold the line and if the parent will do what they say they're going to do. And now the next text tells you how this happened. It tells you how Ahab became what he became and how he became the worst of the worst. How he became the top of the hill of the immorality of the kings before him. Because look at that next verse. Verse 31. It says, and it came to pass as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who happened to be his great-grandfather, that he took a wife, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. Understand, we give too much credit to Jezebel for being an influence on Ahab. Ahab was a bad dude before he married Jezebel. How did he get there? Because of the text says, because he took lightly the word of the Lord. See, you don't go from, work, from good to worse overnight. You go from good to worse because you've had a habit of taking lightly the word of the Lord. You've had a, high, you've had a habit of brushing off the things that you're supposed to do. You've had a habit of always compromising your principles. You've had a habit that allowed you to slide down a slope. You don't become, see, by the time he picked Jezebel, he picked the woman that he craved. He didn't want a good girl because he wasn't raised to want a good girl. He was raised to want something that would satisfy his desires and his lust. He, he, he was already this bad dude because when you take something lightly, that means you're taking something that's supposed to be serious and saying it really doesn't matter. 
When you take something lightly, especially behaviors that need to be corrected, you have more of a potential of repeating that same habit. And it grows and it gets stronger. See, what we're talking about is the more you cross the line, the easier it becomes to cross the line. The more you allow people to cross the line on you, the easier it becomes for them to cross the line on you. You don't set proper boundaries, then nobody's gonna respect your boundaries. If you allow people to disrespect you because you want it for the moment, listen to me, we've got to protect our personal space where people should understand what they should be expecting and not expecting from us. We need to hold ourselves in a way that there are certain things you just not going to approach me with. I, I, if you come to me and offer me certain things, I need to re-examine how I'm handling myself around you because you should know better than to bring that mess to me. And if you bring that mess to me, that means I'm sending out the wrong signal or you're not picking up on the correct signal and I need to direct you back to what you should be doing when you're near me. When we, when we lower our boundaries, listen to me, ladies. I'm speaking to the ladies first. Guys are always trying to work on you lowering your boundaries, little by little. Guys, there are women that are experts at maneuvering all around whatever boundaries you thought you had. Somewhere, somebody's gotta be the one to say, uh, no, no, not today. See, when we get in that habit of having lax standards and lax values, we become a race and a family of people that stand for nothing. And this is what we do when we try to do what's right, or it's worse if somebody's trying to do what's right around us, and we say, hey, lighten up, man. Why you gotta take yourself so seriously? Well, guess what? If you don't take yourself seriously, who else will? This is, this is what, what we do. And the more we allow, the harder it becomes to resist. You, when you look at this next text, verse 32, you see something that you've got to know what your limitations are. And if you do not know what your limitations are, you're gonna fall. Look what it says in verse 32. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. Now, listen, <laughs> he's building up an altar in a place that he already built for something else, right? If you build a house for Baal, see, you can't just do things part way. You may say, well, I'll go this far, but I ain't doing the rest. If you build the house, you're going to end up accepting what's supposed to go in the house. 
You can't build a house of Baal and not expect Baal gonna be in there. Somewhere we gotta know our limitations. You know, one of the examples I, I used uh, 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 to the Macedonia church the other day about when we don't know our own boundaries is my own refrigerator. I, I'm trying, y'all, I'm trying to get a hold of my weight. I'm, I'm trying. But if I see some cheesecake, I dream about it. Gotta have it. If it's in my refrigerator, I can't, I can't, I, there's only so much I'm going to be able to do. I'll say it's in there, but I'm not going to touch it. I'll walk by it 99 times. Won't touch it. But that hundredth time, <laughs> maybe I can just get a little taste. Maybe just a little bit. Maybe just a little something. That's what we do when we put ourselves around things that we know we shouldn't touch. Sooner or later, you're going to touch. Sooner or later, you're going to taste. Sooner or later, you're going to partake. See, the problem we have is what we see in these next texts that we read here. Because, see, it says Ahab in verse 33 did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all of the kings of Israel before him. It's one thing to sin. It's another thing to sin and provoke. See, you can sin. You made a mistake, got caught up in the moment. But when you sin in a way that it provokes, it says, I don't care what you think about what I'm doing or not. I'm doing it so there. I'm in your face sinning. I'm in your face disregarding your rules. I'm in your face not respecting your boundaries. He did more to provoke God than any other king before him. And look what it says when we go to 1 Kings 21. See, now, he's getting ready to get a word. He has lived a life that is so bad. He's lived a life that is so much of a problem that God now sends a prophet to now give him a declaration, not a request to repent. Uh-uh. No. He's getting now a judgment that's been rendered. There's nothing being asked here of, of, of Ahab. He's just getting a word. This is a guy that has allowed prophets to be killed and slain. This is a guy that's allowed his wife to have a, a God's servants hunted. This is a guy that has allowed a false God to be set up in the kingdom. And then he built places where, see, let me tell you why, why, why worshiping idols was so attractive even to the children of God. Because, see, it wasn't just about the worship. It was about the immorality tied to the worship. They could have sexual relations with people they weren't supposed to because that was a part of the worship practice. I'm just trying to tell you what, 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 what they were dealing with here. It wasn't just a piece of wood that they bowing down to. It's the activities associated with the piece of wood. 
So, so, so here's now the word of the Lord comes to Elijah saying, here's what I want you to do. Arise, go down and meet Ahab the king. Let me tell you what's happened here. Ahab, even as bad as he was, he was a guy that his wife really ruled the house. Let's just say that. Not every man wears the pants in his house. Ahab didn't wear no pants. He was a terrible dude anyway, and he had a wife that enjoyed the fact that he was a terrible dude and also knew she could control him. Ahab sees this piece of land that he wants to be his own. It's close to the kingdom, and he asked the guy who has it, can I have this land? I'll pay you for it or give you something better. And this guy says, I'm not allowed to give you that land because that's an inheritance from my father. It's got to stay in our tribe. You're not in my tribe. And according to the law, I'd be going against God if I gave you what you're asking for. Do you know what Ahab did? How many think Ahab got in the guy's face and said, if you don't get this to me, I'm going to kill you? How many think he said that? How many think that Ahab said, okay, I'm going to know how to fix him. I'm going to work this out as soon as I get home. How many think he said that? No, no. You know what he did? He went home and pouted. He cried like a little baby. I can't get what I want. He goes in his room. His wife then sees what he, what's, what's, what's going on, dear. So-and-so won't give me what I want. Oh, she said, oh, I got, I got this covered for you. She said, who, who, who do you think runs this kingdom? See, we think that she's trying to remind him that you run the kingdom. That's not what she's saying. She's saying, who do you think runs this kingdom? All you had to do was come to me. That's, that's what she did. And then she took care of it. She has the dude killed and then tells her husband, now go down there and get that land. Now, this is the triggering event that now allows God, has God send his prophet to Ahab. He sends the prophet to Ahab, and he says, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, which is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, whither he has gone down to possess it. In other words, he's going to go down and take that land that he's not supposed to have, and thou shalt speak to him, saying, now, when you see the rest of this, this is what Elijah is saying directly to Ahab. He's not saying it around his back. He didn't write it down in a piece of letter. A letter. He's saying it directly to him, and he says, and it's always interesting when somebody talks about you in front of your face. That means they don't even care what you think. This is what God told Elijah to do. So he says, thus saith the Lord, hast thou killed and also taken possession? And thou shalt speak to him, saying, thus saith the Lord, in the place where dogs lick the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick thy blood, even thine. And Ahab said, oh, wait a minute. Did you come to find me? Like he now, feel, he's now, uh, oh, 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 how do you know what I'm doing? How do you even know I'm here? And Elijah says, I have found thee because thou hast sold thyself to work evil in the sight of the Lord. 
Behold, I will bring evil upon you and will take away your prosperity. That means your children, your family, your inheritance. I'm getting ready to take away everything that you have, everything that your kids will get, everything that your grandchildren have. I'm getting ready to wipe out the memory that you even exist. He says, now, now I got to read this, the, I, excuse this language, but this is in the Bible. I just got to read it. It says, behold, I will take away thy prosperity and will cut off from you Ahab, even him that pisseth against the wall. Now, some translations try to clean this up and say, I'm going to cut you off from all the male people of the society. That's not what he's saying. He's saying even the drunk dude that pisseth against the wall ain't going to have nothing to do with you. That's how bad your situation is. <laughs> this is... And him that is shut up and left in Israel and will make thine house like the house of Jeroboam and like the house of Basha for the provocation wherewith thou hast provoked me to anger and made Israel to sin. But then look what he talks about his wife. He says, and of Jezebel also spake the Lord saying, dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel and him that dieth of Ahab anybody that's with you that dies in the city the dogs will eat them and him that dieth in the field shall the fowls of the air eat and then it says he's saying this to Ahab because the Lord has said there's none like you Ahab which did sell himself to work witness in the sight of the Lord from Jezebel, his wife stirred up. Get this. You see where, where the, the prophet is? You got a wife that stirred you up. Ahab wasn't going to go get that field on his own. He was just pouting about it. His wife instigated a situation, stirred him up. See, some people don't need help doing bad things. You know, I always, uh, whenever people say, when you're in a discussion, well, I just want to be the devil's advocate. The devil don't need your help. He does okay all by himself. So when you got somebody in your life that's stirring things up, see, this is the problem. We got people in our lives that are stirring up chaos, stirring up discontentment, stirring up problems, stirring up sorrow, stirring up problems where they want to watch you go through the drama. Always trying to instigate something. Always trying to start something. They're instigating, they're prodding, they're provoking. See, I had a friend I did his funeral the other day, and his name was Jethro. And I said something at his funeral that always stuck me with something Jethro said when we were kids, right? So the, all the older kids and us, you know, we had this big passenger van that was supposed to fit 15 kids, and we had 31 kids in the van. That's how we rode every day. You know, it was before, you know, they would stop you and everything. I mean, we would be sitting on the floors of the van, 
going back and forth to wherever they would take us. So the older boys would have a game, uh, and he was the age of my older brother. They would tell you to do something to one of the other, bo other uh, older boys. You're going to get pounded no matter which way you go. If you do what the guy told you, knock these books off of so-and-so's lap, then they're going to hit you, the one that you did. If you didn't do what the one older boy told you to do, he was going to hit you. So either way it was going to happen, you're going to get hurt. So it comes my turn. They say, Sean, smack Georgie. Smack Georgie? So I'm leaning away from the guy telling me to smack him, and I'm leaning toward Georgie, and Georgie says something that stuck with me for the rest of my life. He's normally a happy-go-lucky guy, always joking. This is the first time I've never seen him smile. He said, look me right in the eye. I said it in front of everybody in the van. Don't let them get you acting crazy and get yourself hurt. Do you know, I, I, I can tell you this, I don't know what happened after that, but I didn't smack Georgie. And I've said it to my son ever since. When he's going out with friends, don't let them get you acting crazy and get yourself hurt. Uh, uh, dating the wrong person, family wants to push you to marry somebody, you don't, have no, don't let them get you acting crazy and get yourself hurt. You think you're going to be in a situation? Don't let other people influence you, get you acting crazy and get yourself hurt. We got too many people that we allow space in our lives that are encouraging us to do something stupid and crazy that's only going to get ourselves hurt but see 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 I like what Paul says about it second Timothy uh, 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 chapter 1 6 and 7 it says wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God which is in thee by putting on my hands by putting on of my hands and we always repeat the next verse which is for God has given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind but see it means more when you think of the first verse before it don't let things stir up in you unless they come from the Lord you want to stir something up stir up that stir up peace stir up people trying to get folks together instead of dividing them stir up people trying to get in tune with the word of God stir up those gifts and talents that God has given us inside of us and if we stir that up we will stir up love we'll stir up power we'll stir up the sound mind that God gave us but if we keep focusing on the things that others want to instigate, we never get to the next step, which is what God has for us, which is love, power. And if he gives you love and he gives you power, you see what he hooked up next to that is you got to have a sound mind. Because if I'm going to give you some love without a sound mind, that love is going to become perverted. If I'm going to give you power without a sound mind, you're going to use that power to take advantage of other people. But when you have love, power, and a sound mind, now you got something God can work with. He's got a wife that's trying to stir up the lust. He's got a wife that's trying to stir up the problems. He's got a wife that's trying to stir up all of these things. And this is what the problem is. Because when we allow the Holy Spirit to take over these things, these feelings and emotions that we have, 
See, the reason why we don't do a lot of times what God would have us to do is because we don't realize that we're being influenced because the spirit of fear has been stirred up in us. Don't pay your tithe because you think you don't have enough money to pay the rest of what you have in your bills. That's the spirit of fear making you think that unless you keep what you have, God will not, you won't be able to do what you need to have. But see, but if you trusted in the Lord, you're going to have that love, that power to overcome any barrier obstacle that you have. Holding on to somebody because you think that you that nobody else would accept you. This is what the devil wants to do. The devil wants to make you think you're not worthy and you deserve the treatment that you're getting. Barriers and obstacles. See, when you have love and power, nothing becomes out of your reach. When you have that power and that love that's granted to you by the God that gives it to you, you don't see walls. You don't see barriers. You just see a God that can help you get through whatever problem that you have. See, Titus, I forget what chapter and text. Somebody may know it by heart. It says, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for persons who stirs up division, after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. That's in the Bible. Don't have nothing to do with somebody that just wants to cause controversy to just be controversial. Arguing about stuff that don't make no sense. You can share what you believe, I'm gonna share what my belief. Once we get to the point where I see I can't convince you otherwise, you're not gonna convince me otherwise if what I'm believing is based on what I believe the Bible says, that's it. I can still love you, but I ain't talking about this no more. I, th that's it. I'm done. That's a wrap. You do your thing. I'm going to do my thing. We both love the Lord. Hopefully one day something will happen. <laughs> but it ain't going to happen with me arguing with you. I'm not doing that. I I'm just not. I'm not doing that. But it says, blessed. That's why Matthew 5, 9 says, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are they that are willing to let some stuff just go. I don't have to compromise my principle to let something go. I, I don't, there's nothing that's going to be that important to me that I want my soul salvation to be in question because I'm arguing and fussing with you. Now, I'm not doing it. Blessed are the peacemakers, those that are able to work out these things and look for ways to bring people together instead of splitting them apart. Proverbs. 6, chapter 6, verses 6 through 19 is, is a text that you should write down because if you ever want to know what displeases God, this gives you a complete roadmap, right? The first verses talk about six things that the Lord hates, but the next part of it talks about seven things that the Lord looks as being abomination. And the way it reads it, it says, the, there are seven that are an abomination to him. I'm, I'm summarizing this for you. 
is haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. The Lord looks at that as an abomination. If you're going just to just sow discord, there's some people that just like to have fun and watch, start something and just step back and watch everybody else fight. Y'all don't, I'm the only person that has somebody like that in my family. Start it and then they step back. Girl, why are you going to let him say that to you? Dude, you going to let her get away with that? That's what they do. And then they step back. Y'all, they don't even know how, that's what they, and then they end up talking about both of y'all, they don't know how to act. See, Ahab had these same scriptures available to him. Understand, these scriptures were already written. Ahab had the same access to, 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 to this Proverbs text that I just read you, right? Jezebel was all of these seven abominable things. He married a woman. Think it, Stuart. He married a woman that checked off every box of the abomination. What was he looking at? Now, I did, I did, I did your marriage counseling, did I not? Did we not check to see if you two had likes and were there things similar and what? Didn't we look at that? This guy, what he wanted was the abomination. He wasn't looking for the virtuous qualities of a woman. Oh, uh-uh, I don't want that. Uh-uh. What? What? Uh, what? Moral? Mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. What's the next list? Oh. That, that, that sows discord? Yeah, that's the one I want. The one that will allow me to be immoral and do whatever I want? Yeah, that's the one I want. The one that will be deceitful and lie and bear false witness to help me get what I got to get? That's the one. That's the ticket. Sign me up. Give a ring. And that sounds blatant, but that's what some of us do. We're not concerned about what we, we're looking at the package and not what's in the box. See, Ahab should have kept reading those texts because here we see it says, my son, keep thy father's commandment, forsake not the law of thy mother, Bind them continually upon thy neck and tie them, uh, oh, bind them continually upon thine heart, tie them around your neck. And when thou goest, it shall lead you. When you sleep, it will keep you. When you're awake, it will talk to you. Because my word is a lamp to your feet, right? You want to walk in the right way? Let my word be a part of you. If my word becomes something that you understand, something that you accept, something that you love, something that you make a part of your life, you don't have to worry when those things come up because when it comes up, 
you're going to do the right thing. When somebody tries to introduce you to something you don't have no business to, you're going to know what your answer will be. Why? Because it's a part of you. Not some manual you got to look up. When God's word is in your life and when it's in your heart, when it's in your mind, when it's grafted into you, you don't have to worry about whether or not you're going to make the right decision. I'm going to wind up. Ahab hears this proclamation about his life. He does something that's not expected. <laughs> he, he does something that he's never done before. He does not care or seek his wife's approval for what his next action is. He hears the word. He has seen what God has already done in the various miracles that he has personally witnessed, even though it didn't change him at that time. But when he hears this proclamation of judgment directed against him, look what he does. It finishes with 1 Kings chapter 21. And it says, and he did very abdominally in following idols. According to all things did the Amorites whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. And in verse 27, it says, and it came to pass when Ahab heard those words, he rent his clothes, he put on sackcloth upon his flesh, and he fasted and lay in sackcloth and went softly. Ahab does not ask to repent. Ahab is not told that he's going to be given a second chance. Ahab has not been given a word of mercy. There's no mercy that's mentioned in this declaration and judgment to Ahab. There's no mercy mentioned. There's no love spoken about. This is the angry God visiting the iniquities upon the fathers and the children and the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. And this is the part that Ahab is getting. He's told, I'm wiping you out. I'm wiping your kids out. I'm wiping everything out that you got. Ahab takes God at his word and drops to his knees. Not just for the moment. He goes home and fast. He did what the Ninevites would later do. I know God said he's going to wipe us out, but maybe if we get it together, he just might give us another chance. Ahab is not asked to repent. See, this is a message that we need to understand. Don't ever think that your life is so far gone that you can't come back to the Lord. Satan wants you to believe that your thing and your dirt is so dirty that God will never accept you again. That your thing is so messed up that you can't even show your face in church. That's Satan's trick. God, to the remorse, to the repentant heart, to the one that has sincere contrition, is always ready to forgive. Because although that 
commandment says, oh yeah, I'm visiting the iniquities upon the fathers and the children and the third, fourth and generation of them that hate me. The next part is, but showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. You want mercy? Do what I've asked you to do. You want mercy? Just follow my commandments. Show me some love and I'll show love to you. That, that's the message. A, see, sometimes God's got to get ugly. I, I'm just saying. Not everybody can understand the, 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 the olive branch of peace. Sometimes God's got to get ugly. And when he gets ugly, it's ugly. But sometimes some of us are so stubborn, that's the only way he can catch your attention. Don't blame God because things aren't working right in your life. Praise God that he's given you a chance to get things right in your life. Don't, don't blame God because everything has not worked out the way you intended. Sometimes it's not even about you at all. See, Psalms, what David wrote in Psalms 35, 13 but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned unto my own bosom. And remember, this is what God does. He's looking for, are we, are we coming back to him? Are we repenting from what we have done, how we've thought, how we've been? But it's interesting. God heard Ahab, and he answered Ahab. And when he answered Ahab, he didn't answer him directly. He answered him back through God's prophet. He says, see, what I like about Ahab is, see, uh, listen to me. I don't play with fire alarms anymore. If I hear the beep, I'm out, period. I'm not asking, is this a test? I don't care. If I hear it going, I'm out. Y'all can talk about it. If I hear the alarm, I'm out. I'll be standing, y'all be looking around, where's Sean? He's already outside on the sidewalk. Ahab hears the alarm. He responds immediately. He doesn't ask questions. He doesn't try to get in a debate. He doesn't say, well, God, if you do this, I'll do that. He's not making deals. He just, he gets out of the burning house. And then look, look, look what, what the Lord says. Verse 28. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, See how Ahab humbled himself before me. Uh-oh. Because he humbled himself before me, I will not bring the evil in his days, but in his son's days will I bring the evil upon his house. This is exactly what David, where David was when he prayed that prayer. It's, uh-oh, oh, oh. Your family is still going to have to pay because, see, you raised them little no-good kids that you have where I already know they never going to be sorry for anything that they've done. So I get that you have said sorry, but them little no-good knuckleheads that you got running around, all of them, they're going to feel the pain. His contrition did nothing to change the state of his family or prevent the judgment from occurring. And this is where we got to start thinking about the homes that we're, 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 we're building. 
even if you have enough sense to give your heart to the Lord, you have, may have made it so bad now for your kids that it's harder for them to see the truth. But you can't give up on them because just like Ahab, who was the worst of the worst, God can still save them no good nothing children that you think you have. He can save them no good nothing parents that you had. We've just got to take God at his word. And when we hear his judgment, we can't take that thing lightly. We've got to act on the word that we've been given. Remember, the men of Nineveh, it was said that, and that was Matthew 12, 41. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, if the men of Nineveh, during the resurrection, I think that's how he said it, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment and figure out that you all had a greater prophet than he had, than they had. Remember, they had an evangelist that didn't even want to save them. They responded to a word from a preacher that, that didn't even want to save them. And when the judgment day and they find out that we have had every opportunity to read the words of Jesus himself and we did not respond, it says, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. What has to happen for us to finally respond to the word that God has given us? What has to happen in our lives before we realize there's nothing more important than to do what God said do? There's not a car that you invest in that you're going to take with you when you die. There's not a house. Look, people come and go in your life. You can't tie, you can't tie your spiritual bonding to anything that, that you have. Even people. And I'm going to tell you, y'all going to hate this saying. My uncle, he said this to both the, 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 the young ladies and the boys in my family. Anytime we were crying over relationships, some relationship, girlfriend left us, boyfriend left you. He said, girlfriends and boyfriends are like buses. There's always one coming every 15 minutes. That was his message. Don't tie your, your self-worth to somebody that could be gone tomorrow. You tie your self-worth to the God that created you, the God that made you, the God that created you to be fearfully. He said, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. And if you just take my word seriously, if you apply these commandments to how you live, I got something greater for you than you can ever imagine. But we often still take God's word lightly when those like Ahab, hearing judgment. See, we don't preach enough judgment sermons. We, treat, we, we, we preach too many light sermons. God's good, I'm good, we're all good. Sometimes people have to hear the ugly. Judgment is coming. 
And if you do not get your life in order, you will die. The Lord is coming again. And if you have not confessed your sins and asked for repentance, you will not be saved. Somebody's got to hear that God's not coming to redeem decent people. He's coming to redeem righteous people. Righteous people aren't perfect. Righteous people are those that realize I'm not perfect and I'm putting all my hope in Jesus and I'm going to be perfected in him. So his righteousness will cover up this mess that I have. God is coming for those that can believe, those that can say, I'm going to give up all this stuff that I have. Lord, I'm waiting on you. Lord, I'm putting my faith in you. Lord, I'm putting my hope in you. Lord, I'm leaning on you. Y'all, this world is getting worse and worse and worse. And if you're not seeing the signs that the Lord is coming again and this thing is going to be wrapped up soon, you're missing it. The fire alarm is ringing. It's time to get out of the house to get yourself in place because this thing is going to wrap up faster than you know it. I'm going to say a prayer. We're going to close this out. If there's anybody on Zoom, Facebook, YouTube, we see you all there. We see you. Anybody in this room, if you want to give your heart to the Lord, you're tired of being in that place where you're the worst of the worst, or maybe you just don't know you're the worst of the worst yet, but you know you're not walking in the way that the Lord would have you. This is your opportunity. This is, this, this, is, this is God giving you that last message, that last chance. Think about how lives are ending because some idiot walked into a mall and just shot up people for no reason at all. Judgment can come for any of us immediately. Lord, I want you, y'all can play something. Lord, I want you to work with the hearts and the minds of everybody in this room. Lord, do you know what people are thinking, what they're going through, the people that they have in their life that may be stirring things up? Lord, just give them that hedge of protection. Show them that you love them and that you are going to you're going to fight off. You said uh, you, you, you'll fight off a thousand, ten thousand. You'll fight off that we'd have nothing to fear when we put our faith in you. Lord, we're asking you to just work with us. Let us be able to stand for something. Resist the evil influences that are coming our way. Lord, just let us be in you. Let us bind this word in our hearts. Tie it around our neck. Let it speak to us. Let it wake us up. Let, us put, let it put us to bed that we are in you and we are with you. Lord, we ask him right now for those here in this room. Standing before us, standing up front, showing the courage to just open herself up to you, Lord. You give her the answer to her prayers. You give her what she needs. Grant her whatever grace or mercy that you can give. 
give her whatever strength that she needs to endure. And the same thing for those that are online. Father, we're calling on your name and we're trusting you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Y'all listen, every day, every day you have the opportunity to pray for somebody. Not everybody has to be an evangelist going knocking on doors, but you can develop a list of people even in your own family that you could be praying for each day. Prayers of the saints don't expire. Who would have thought somebody like Ahab would have ever showed remorse? But yet we write off people every day because we think but something they did, something they said, that there's no way that we can work that out. Let the Lord work that out. Turn that thing over to him. Let him do what he does. He heals the brokenhearted. He sets at liberty the captives. He sets the prisoners free. He heals the wounds that we've had. If we just let Lord do what the Lord does. Turn it over to him.